It is not only said that Jesus Christ is our Savior, but that he is sent to be a mediator, to reconcile us by the sacrifice of his death. He is sent to us as a lamb without blemish, to purge us and make satisfaction for all our trespasses. He is our pledge, to deliver us from the condemnation of death. He is our righteousness. He is our advocate, who maketh intercession with God, that he would hear our prayers. We must allow all these qualities to belong to Jesus Christ, if we will know aright how he appeared. We must look at the substance contained in the gospel. We must know that Jesus Christ appeared as our Savior, and that he suffered for our salvation, and that we were reconciled to God the Father through his means, that we have been cleansed from all our blemishes and freed from everlasting death. If we know not that he is our advocate, that he heareth us when we pray to God, to the end, that our prayers may be answered, what will become of us? What confidence can we have to call upon God's name, who is the fountain of our salvation? But St. Paul saith, Jesus Christ hath fulfilled all things that were requisite for the redemption of mankind. If the gospel were taken away, of what advantage would it be to us that the Son of God had suffered death and risen again the third day for our justification? All this would be unprofitable to us. So then, the gospel putteth us in possession of the benefits that Jesus Christ hath purchased for us. And therefore, though he be absent from us in body, and is not conversant with us here on earth, it is not that he hath withdrawn himself, as though we could not find him. For the sun that shineth doth no more enlighten the world than Jesus Christ showeth himself openly to those that have the eyes of faith to look upon him when the gospel is preached. Therefore St. Paul saith, Jesus Christ hath brought life to light, yea, everlasting life. He saith, The Son of God hath abolished death. And how did he abolish it? If he had not offered an everlasting sacrifice to appease the wrath of God, if he had not entered even to the bottomless pit to draw us from offense, if he had not taken our curse upon himself, if he had not taken away the burden wherewith we were crushed down, where should we have been? Would death have been destroyed? Nay, sin would reign in us, and death likewise. And indeed, let everyone examine himself, and we shall find that we are slaves to Satan, who is the prince of death so that we are shut up in this miserable slavery unless God destroy the devil, sin, and death. And this is done. But how? He hath taken away our sins by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, though we be poor sinners and in danger of God's judgment, yet sin cannot hurt us. The sting which is venomous is so blunted that it cannot wound us because Jesus Christ has gained the victory over it. He suffered not the shedding of his blood in vain, but it was a washing wherewith we were washed through the Holy Ghost as is shown by St. Peter. And thus we see plainly 
that when St. Paul speaketh of the gospel, wherein Jesus Christ appeared, and appeareth daily to us, he forgetteth not his death and passion, nor the things that pertain to the salvation of mankind. We may be certified that in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ we have all that we can desire. We have full and perfect trust in the goodness of God and the love he beareth us. But we see that our sins separate us from God and cause a warfare in our members. Yet we have an atonement through our Lord Jesus Christ. And why so? Because he hath shed his blood to wash away our sins. He hath offered a sacrifice whereby God hath become reconciled to us. To be short, he hath taken away the curse that we may be blessed of God. Moreover, he hath conquered death and triumphed over it, that he might deliver us from the tyranny thereof, which otherwise would entirely overwhelm us. Thus we see that all things that belong to our salvation are accomplished in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we may enter into full possession of all these benefits, we must know that he appeareth to us daily by his gospel. Although he dwelleth in his heavenly glory, if we open the eyes of our faith, we shall behold him. We must learn not to separate that which the Holy Ghost hath joined together. Let us observe what St. Paul meant by a comparison to amplify the grace that God showed to the world after the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As if he said, the old fathers had not this advantage to have Jesus Christ appear to them as he appeared to us. It is true. They have the self-same faith, and the inheritance of heaven is theirs as well as ours, God having revealed his grace to them as well as to us, but not in like measure. For they saw Jesus Christ afar off under the figures of the law, as St. Paul saith to the Corinthians. The veil of the temple was as yet stretched out that the Jews could not come near the sanctuary, that is, the material sanctuary. But now the veil of the temple being removed, we draw nigh to the majesty of our God. We come most familiarly to him, in whom dwelleth all perfection and glory. In short, we have the body, whereas they had but the shadow. Colossians 2.17 the ancient fathers submitted themselves wholly to bear the affliction of Jesus Christ, as it is said in the eleventh chapter of the Hebrews. For it is not said, Moses bore the shame of Abraham, but of Jesus Christ. Thus the ancient fathers, though they lived under the law, offered themselves to God in sacrifices to bear most patiently the afflictions of Christ. And now Jesus Christ, having risen from the dead, hath brought life to light. If we are so delicate that we cannot bear the afflictions of the gospel, are we not worthy to be blotted from the book of God and cast off? Therefore we must be constant in the faith and ready to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, whatsoever God will. Because life is set before us, and we have a more familiar knowledge of it than the ancient fathers had. 
We know how the ancient fathers were tormented by tyrants and enemies of the truth, and how they suffered constantly. The condition of the church is not more grievous in these days than it was then. For now hath Jesus Christ brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. As often as the grace of God is preached to us, it is as much as if the kingdom of heaven were opened to us, as if God reached out his hand and certified us that life was nigh, and that he will make us partakers of his heavenly inheritance. But when we took to this life, which was purchased for us by our Lord Jesus Christ, we should not hesitate to forsake all that we have in this world to come to the treasure above which is in heaven. Therefore, let us not be willingly blind, seeing Jesus Christ layeth daily before us the life and immortality here spoken of. When St. Paul speaketh of life and addeth immortality, it is as much as if he said, We already enter into the kingdom of heaven by faith. Though we be as strangers here below, the life and grace of which we are made partakers through our Lord Jesus Christ shall bring its fruit in convenient time, to wit, when he shall be sent of God the Father to show us the effect of things that are daily preached, which were fulfilled in his person when he was clad in humanity. Chapter 4 Pure Preaching of the Word But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Second Timothy 2, 16-18 we have already shown that St. Paul hath, not without cause, diligently exhorted Timothy to follow the pure simplicity of the Word of God without disguising it. The doctrine which is set forth to us in God's name to be the food of our souls will be corrupted by the devil if, in his power, when he cannot destroy it, he blendeth things with it in order to bring it into contempt and destroy our knowledge of the will of God. There are many in this day who put themselves forward to teach, and what is the cause of it? Ambition carrieth them away. They disguise the word of God, and thus Satan goeth about to deprive us of the spiritual life. But this he is not able to accomplish, unless by some means the doctrine of God be corrupted. St. Paul repeateth the exhortation that we must shun all unprofitable babbling and stay ourselves upon plain teaching, which is forcible. He not only condemneth manifest errors, superstition, and lies, but he condemneth the disguising of the word of God, as when men invent subtleties to cloy men's ears, bringing no true nourishment to the soul, nor edification in faith and the fear of God to the hearers. 
when St. Paul speaketh of a vain babbling, he meaneth that which contenteth curious men, as we see many that take great pleasure in vain questions wherewith they seem to be ravished. They do not openly speak against the truth, but they despise it as a thing too common and base, as a thing for children and fools. As for them, they will know some higher and more profound matter. Thus they are at variance with that which would be profitable for them. Therefore let us weigh well the words of St. Paul, vain babbling, as though, he said, if there be nothing but fine rhetoric and exquisite words to gain him credit that speaketh, and to show that he is well learned, none of this should be received into the church. All must be banished. For God will have his people to be edified, and he hath appointed his word for that purpose. Therefore, if we go not about the salvation of the people, that they may receive nourishment by the doctrine that is taught them, it is sacrilege, for we pervert the pure use of the word of God. This word, profane, is set against that which is holy and dedicated to God. Whatsoever pertaineth to the magnifying of God, and increases our knowledge of His majesty, whereby we may worship Him, whatsoever draweth us to the kingdom of heaven, or taketh our affections from the world, and leadeth us to Jesus Christ, that we may be grafted into His body, is called holy. On the contrary, when we feel not the glory of God, when we feel not to submit ourselves to Him, when we know not the riches of the kingdom of heaven, when we are not drawn into His service to live in pureness of conscience, when we know not what the salvation meaneth which was purchased by our Lord Jesus Christ, we belong to the world and are profaned. The doctrine which serves to mislead us in such things is also called profane. Thus we see what St. Paul's meaning is, to wit, when we come together in the name of God. It is not to hear merry songs and to be fed with wind, that is, with vain and unprofitable curiosity, but to receive spiritual nourishment. For God will have nothing preached in his name, but that which will profit and edify the hearers, nothing but that which containeth good matter." But it is true. Our nature is such that we take great pleasure in novelty and in speculations which seem to be subtle. Therefore let us beware and think as we ought that we may not profane God's holy word. Let us seek that which edifieth and not abuse ourselves by receiving that which hath no substance in it. It is hard to withdraw men from such vanity because they are inclined to participate in it. But St. Paul showeth that there is nothing more miserable than such vain curiosity, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. As if he had said, My friends, you know not at first sight what hurt cometh by these deceivers. 
who go about to gain credit and estimation among you, and with pleasant toys endeavor to please you. But believe me, they are Satan's instruments, and such as in no wise serve God, but increase unto more wickedness. That is, if they are let alone, they will mar the Christian religion. They will not leave one jot safe and sound. Therefore, see that you flee them as plagues, although at first sight the poison which they bring be not perceived. Every one of us should suspect himself when we have to judge of this doctrine. And why so? Because, as I said before, we are all weak. Our minds are altering and changing. And besides, we have a foolish desire that draweth to things which are unprofitable. And therefore, let us beware that we do not satisfy our own desires. Although this doctrine may not seem bad to us at the first view, yet notwithstanding, if it has not a tendency to lead us to God and strengthen us in His service, to confirm us in the faith and hope that is given us of everlasting life, it will deceive us in the end and prove to be but a mixture which serveth no purpose except to take away the good which we had received before. To be short, those that have not this in view to draw the world to God and build up the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he may rule among us, mar all. All the labor and pains they take, but increases their wickedness. And if they be suffered to go on in this way, a gate is set open to Satan, whereby he may bring to naught whatsoever is of God. Although this is not done at the first blow, yet we see the end is such. To express this the better, St. Paul adds, Their word will eat as doth a canker. The word eat mentioned here is not commonly understood. It is what the surgeons call an eating sore, and what is also called St. Anthony's fire. That is to say, when there is such an inflammation in any part of the body, that the sore eateth not only the flesh and sinews, but the bones also. In short, it is a fire that devoureth all. The hand will cause the arm to be lost and the foot, the leg, unless at the beginning the part that is affected be cut off, thus the man is in danger of losing his members, unless there be fit remedies provided for it. In this case, we should spare no pains, but cut off the part affected, that the rest be not utterly destroyed. Thus we view it here spiritually, for St. Paul showeth us that although we may have been well instructed in wholesome doctrine, all will be marred if we give place to these unprofitable questions and only endeavor to please the hearers and feed their desires. Seeing we understand what St. Paul's meaning is, let us endeavor to put this exhortation into practice. 
when we see men go about endeavoring to turn us aside from the true doctrine, let us shun them and shut the gate against them unless we take it in hand at the first start and entirely cut it off. It may be as difficult to control as the disease of which we have spoken. Therefore, let us not be sleeping, for this is a matter of importance. It will prove a deadly disease unless it be seen to in time. If this exhortation had been observed, things would be in a better condition at the present day in Christendom. For this doltishness of papistry is but the vain babbling spoken of by St. Paul. Even those who would be counted the greatest doctors among them, who are of many years standing, yea, and have spent their whole life in it, think upon nothing but foolish prattling, which serveth no other purpose than to lead men astray, as no man knoweth what they mean. It seemeth that the devil hath forged this language by a miraculous subtlety in order that he might bring all doctrine into confusion. It is plainly perceived that they have conspired to do contrary to that which St. Paul hath in God's name forbidden. For they that have thus turned the word of God into a profane language of barbarous and unknown words shall be much less able to excuse themselves. Many there are that would gladly have pleasant things taught them. They would make pastime of the word of God and recreate themselves thereby. Thus they seek vain and unprofitable teaching. They would bring error, contention, and debate into the church and endeavor to bring the religion we hold into doubt and obscure the word of God. Therefore we must be so much the more earnest to serve God and continue constantly in the pureness of the gospel. If we have a desire to obey our God as we ought, we must practice that which is commanded us and pray Him to cleanse the church from these plagues, for they are the devil's instruments. This might be applied to all corruptions and stumbling blocks invented by the devil, but it is here spoken of concerning the doctrine whereby we are quickened, which is the true food of the soul. Now let us come to that part of the subject in which St. Paul informs us who are of this number. He saith, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. When he nameth Hymenius and Philetus, he showeth that we must not spare them who, like scabby sheep, may infect the flock. But we must rather tell everyone what kind of men they are, that they may beware of them. Are we not traitors to our neighbors when we see them in danger of being turned from God and do not inform them of it? A wicked man that goeth about to establish perverse doctrine and cause offenses in the church, what is he but an impostor? If I dissemble when I see him, is it not as though I should see my neighbor in danger and would not bid him beware? If the life of the body ought to be so precious to us that we would do all in our power to preserve it, of how much more importance is the life of the soul? 
Those who endeavor to turn everything upside down will come and sow their false doctrine among the people in order to draw them into a contempt of God. These barking dogs, these vile goats, these ravenous wolves are they that have erred and endeavored to overthrow the faith of the church, and yet we suffer them? Men will frequently say, must we be at defiance with them? Must we cast them off that they may fall into despair? This is said by those who think we ought to use gentleness. But what mercy is it to spare one man and in the meantime to cast away a thousand souls rather than warn them? We must not suffer wicked herbs to grow among us, lest they should get the upper hand and choke whatsoever good seed there be, or utterly destroy it. Satan cometh with his poison and plagues, that he may destroy all. We see the flock of God troubled and tormented with ravenous wolves that devour and destroy what it Soever they can. Must we be moved with mercy towards a wolf, and in the meantime let the poor sheep and lambs of which our Lord hath such a special care, let them, I say, perish? When we see any wicked man troubling the church, either by offenses or false doctrine, we must prevent him as much as lieth in our power. We must warn the simple that they be not misled and carried away. This, I say, is our duty. The Lord would have the wicked made known, that the world may discern them, that their ungodliness may be made manifest to all. St. Paul speaketh of some who are busybodies, idlers, etc. These must be pointed out likewise, that they may be shunned. What must be done to those who have the sword in hand, who have become very devils, who can in no wise live in peace and concord, but thrust themselves forward to bring all to naught? When we see them thus, must we hold our peace? Let us learn to know them that trouble the church of God, and keep them back, and endeavor to prevent them from doing injury. Hereby we see how few there are that have a zeal for God's church. We speak not only of open enemies, for we confess that we must name the papists that we be not entangled with their error and superstition. But we see others that seek to turn us away from the simplicity of the gospel. They endeavor to bring all things into disorder. They sow tares that they may bring this doctrine into hatred and cause men to be grieved with it. Others would have a licentious liberty to do what wickedness they choose and thus throw off the yoke of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see others who seek nothing but to fill the world with wickedness, blasphemies, and vileness, and thus endeavor to tread the reverence of God underfoot. We likewise see gross drunkards and tipplers who endeavor to bring all men into confusion. And yet, who is there among us that set us himself against these things? Who is there that saith, Let us beware and be watchful? On the contrary, those that ought to reprove such wickedness sharply not only wink at it and let it pass, but they favor it and give it their support. 
We see the wickedness that overspreads the land. We see those that endeavor to pervert and bring to naught our salvation and bring the church of God into doubt. And shall we dissemble and make as though we saw none of these things? We may boast as much as we please about being Christians. Yet there are more devils among us than Christians if we countenance such things. Therefore, let us look well to the doctrine which is here given us. And if we see wicked persons trying to infect the church of God to darken good doctrine or destroy it, let us endeavor to bring their works to light, that every one may behold them and thereby be enabled to shun them. If we attend not to these things, we are traitors to God and have no zeal for his honor, nor for the salvation of the church. We must be professed enemies of wickedness if we will serve God. It is not enough for us merely to refrain from committing sin, but we must condemn it as much as possible, that it may not bear any sway or get the upper hand of us. After St. Paul hath named these two individuals, he informs us that they turned away from the faith, insomuch that they said the resurrection was past. So we see their fall was horrible. Hymenius and Philetus were not obscure men, for St. Paul makes mention of them, although they were afar off, Timothy being at this time in Ephesus. It is therefore evident that they were famous men. They had been for some time in great reputation as chief pillars in the church, but we see how far they fell. Even to renounce everlasting salvation, which was purchased for us by our Lord Jesus Christ. If we look not for the resurrection, of what use is it for us to teach that there is a Redeemer who hath saved us from the slavery of death? Of what use will the death and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ be to us unless we wait for the fruit that is promised us in the latter day at his coming? Notwithstanding these men had been for a season of the number of the faithful, yet they fell, as it were, into the bottomless gulf of hell. Thus God declareth his vengeance towards them that abuse his gospel. It seemeth that these men were drunken with foolish ambition. They sought nothing but renown. They disguised the simplicity of the word of God and endeavored to show themselves greater than others. But God esteemeth his word far higher than he doth man. For if men cast it down and make a mock of it, he will not hold them guilty. Thus we see that those who were like angels have become very devils. They are blinded, and yet they would become great doctors. The ability of these persons of whom St. Paul speaketh were not of the common sort. They were not idiots, but of high standing in all the churches. And yet they are fallen into such a blindness that they deny the resurrection of the dead. That is, they renounce the chiefest article of our religion and deprive themselves of all hope of salvation. How is this possible? It seemeth strange that men who were able to teach others should come to such gross and beastly ignorance. Thus we see how God revengeth scoffers and scorners that abuse his word. It cannot be, but he must cast them off into a state of reprobation. 
that they may never be able to discern any more and become utterly void of all reason. Therefore, if at this day we see men become beastly after having known the truth of God and become void of reason, we must know that God will thereby magnify his word and cause us to feel the majesty thereof. And why so? Because he punished the contempt of it by giving such a persons to the devil and giving him full liberty over them. Therefore, we must not be offended when we see those who have tasted the gospel revolt from the obedience of God, but let it rather be a confirmation of our faith. For God showeth us plainly that his word is of such importance that he cannot in any wise have men abuse it, nor take it in vain, neither disguise or profane it. We must learn to take heed and walk fearfully and carefully. Let us view these things as a looking glass set before our eyes, that we may see those who seemed to be passing for good Christians fallen, having in themselves nothing but wickedness, using detestable speeches, having nothing but filthiness in all their lives. Seeing God hath placed these things before us, let us take warning thereby and awake and walk in the simplicity of the gospel, that we may not become a prey to Satan. It is true, these men had a fantastical resurrection, as some do at the present day, who would make us believe that to become Christians was to rise again. But the scripture calleth us to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we be always ready and prepared, that he may be made manifest. And until that time, our life is hidden, and we are, as it were, in the shadow of death. When the scripture calleth us to our Lord Jesus, these fanatics say we must look for no other resurrection except that which takes place when we are enlightened in the gospel. We will here observe that our old man must be crucified if we will be partakers of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and rise again with him. St. Paul has shown us that if we will be of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must be partakers of his cross. We must walk in death before we can come to life. How long will this death continue? As long as we are in this world. Therefore, St. Peter saith, Baptism is, as it were, a figure of the Ark of Noah, 1 Peter 3.21. For we must be enclosed, as it were, in a grave, being dead to the world, if we will be quickened by the mark of our Lord Jesus Christ. They that would have a resurrection at midway, do they not pervert the nature of baptism, and consequently all the order that God hath set among us? Let us learn that until God shall take us out of this world, we must be as pilgrims in a strange country, and that our salvation shall not be shown us until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he has become the first fruits of them that slept. 1 Corinthians 15. And likewise, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Colossians 1, 18. 
It is true that Jesus Christ has risen again, but he must needs appear to us, and his life and glory must be shown us before we can come to him. St. John saith that we are sure we are God's children, that we shall see him even as he is when we shall be made like him. It is true, God has revealed it to us when he transformed us into his image, but that which we conceive by faith is not yet seen. We must hope for it at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notwithstanding the great absurdity of the error, St. Paul informs us that the two individuals here spoken of have overthrown the faith of some. This is a thing that ought to make us tremble, to think that a doctrine which ought to be laid aside at the first sight should overthrow the faith of some. We see how the children of God are afflicted in this world. Yea, it is often pitiable to behold their situation. While the unbelievers who contemn God are at their ease and live in pleasure. They make their triumph, whereas the saints are made as the off-scouring of the world. 1 Corinthians 4.13 How is it possible for men to conceive this heresy, to say the resurrection is already past? And yet we see that this was welcome to some. Yea, in the primitive church, in the time of the apostles, when they, whom Jesus Christ had chosen to preach his truth throughout the world, still lived... Some fell from the faith. When we see such an example, have we not occasion to be astonished and walk in fear? Not that we should doubt, but what God will help and guide us, but it behooveth us to arm ourselves with prayer and rely upon the promises of our God. Well, may we be amazed when we think upon the heinousness of this error, that God hath suffered some to be turned away from the faith already. If the apostles who exercised all the power that was given them from above to maintain the truth of God could not prevent men from being misled, what must we expect nowadays? Let us be diligent in prayer and flee to God that he may preserve us by his Holy Spirit. May we not be puffed up with presumption, but consider our nothingness, for we should quickly be overthrown if we were not upheld by the Supreme Being. These lessons are not given us without a cause. Although Hymenius and Philetus are not alive at this day, yet in their persons the Holy Ghost meant to degrade the wicked who go about to pervert the faith that we may not be grieved at whatsoever comes to pass, that we may not depart from the good way, but be guarded against all offenses. We must not be so puffed up with pride as to go astray after our own foolish imaginations, but we must take heed and keep ourselves in obedience to the word of God. Then we shall be daily more and more confirmed until our good God taketh us to his everlasting rest whereunto we are called. Chapter 5 The Word Our Only Rule Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. 
They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Titus 1, 15 and 16. St. Paul hath shown us that we must be ruled by the word of God and hold the commandments of men as vain and foolish. For holiness and perfection of life belongeth not to them. He condemneth some of their commandments as when they forbid certain meats and will not suffer us to use that liberty which God giveth the faithful. Those who troubled the church in St. Paul's time by setting forth such traditions used the commandments of the law as a shield. These were but men's inventions because the temple was to be abolished at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those in the Church of Christ who hold the superstition to have certain meats forbidden have not the authority of God, for it was against his mind and purpose that the Christian should be subject to such ceremonies. To be short, St. Paul informs us in this place that in these days we have liberty to eat of all kinds of meat without exception. As for the health of the body, that is not here spoken of, but the matter here set forth is that men shall not set themselves up as masters to make laws for us contrary to the word of God, seeing it is so that God putteth no difference between meats, let us so use them, and never inquire what men like or what they think good Notwithstanding, we must use the benefits that God hath granted us soberly and moderately. We must remember that God hath made meats for us, not that we should fill ourselves like swine, but that we should use them for the sustenance of life. Therefore, let us content ourselves with this measure which God hath shown us by his word. If we have not such a store of nourishment as we would wish, let us bear our poverty patiently and practice the doctrine of St. Paul and know as well how to bear poverty as riches. If our Lord give us more than we could have wished for, yet must we bridle our appetites. On the other side, if it please him to cut off our morsel and feed us but poorly, we must be content with it and pray him to give us patience when we have not what our appetites crave. To be short, we must have recourse to what is said in Romans 13. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Let us content ourselves to have what we need, and that which God knoweth to be proper for us. Thus shall all things be clean to us, if we be thus cleansed. Yet it is true that although we were ever so unclean, the meats which God hath made are good, but the matter we have to consider is the use of them. When St. Paul saith all things are clean, he meaneth not that they are so of themselves, but as relateth to those that receive them. As we have noticed before, where he saith to Timothy, all things are sanctified to us by faith and giving of thanks. God hath filled the world with such abundance that we may marvel to see what a fatherly care he hath over us. 
For to what end or purpose are all the riches here on earth, only to show how liberal he is toward man? If we know not that he is our father and act as the part of a nurse toward us, if we receive not at his hand that which he giveth us, insomuch that when we eat, we are convinced that it is God that nourisheth us, he cannot be glorified as he deserveth. Neither can we eat one morsel of bread without committing sacrilege, for which we must give an account, that we may lawfully enjoy these benefits which have been bestowed upon us. Us, we must be resolved upon this point, as I said before, that it is God that nourisheth and feedeth us. This is the cleanness spoken of here by the Apostle when he saith, All things are clean, especially when we have such an uprightness in us that we despise not the benefits bestowed upon another, but crave our daily bread at the hand of God, being persuaded that we have no right to it, only to receive it as the mercy of God. Now let us see from whence this cleanness cometh. We shall not find it in our for it is given us by faith, St. Peter saith, the hearts of the old fathers were cleansed by this means, to wit, when God gave them faith. Acts 15. It is true that he here hath regard to the everlasting salvation, because we were utterly unclean until God made himself known to us. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, 
as it is well known and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.